He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animal. We will be with you until noon. This is Sam Humphreys along with Taylor Williams and Preston Poole. And guys, it is golf season officially because whenever the times change obviously we lost an hour of sleep last night but it is worth it now we can play golf until 8 30 or 9 o'clock at night i've heard some you know rumors about legislation on this and that it might be permanent t-dub i want this to be permanent senator james langford i'm reaching out to you right now and saying i would vote heavily for we get to play golf until nine o'clock at night all year round time right t-dub Oh, 100%. Yeah, I believe from my understanding that uh, I think if it passes nationally that this, that our state will be one of the first that does pass it. So let's hope it does take the case. I think we can all agree that everyone's more productive when there's a little bit more sunlight out. And uh, we can definitely be more productive on the golf course, Sam, which is what we're all about. No doubt about it. Preston, I know you don't like it right now after working a late Thunder game, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm dragging a little bit. But, but you got to admit, it's, it's way nicer than going home oh, at yeah. 4 o'clock and it gets yeah. dark in an hour, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, guys, it is Players Sunday, and T Dub. It's not the greatest leaderboard in the world, but our man Scotty Scheffler, the former Longhorn, is saving the day with this leaderboard. Scotty Scheffler has a two-shot lead over Minwoo Lee. Scotty's at fourteen under. Minwoo is at twelve under. Cam Davis, not Cam Young, not Cam Smith, but Cam Davis is in third place by himself at 10 under. Then you've got a, a, a whole group of guys there at nine under. We'll get to that in a second. But T-Dub, I was doing a little research, and I was just curious about the average rankings of these guys in the top five. Seven players right now tied for fourth or better. And the average data golf ranking of the guys in the top five, granted, I mean, Scotty Scheffler is number two in the world right now. He'll probably be number one in the world after today. But the average data golf ranking of the guys in the top five is 116 in the world, which I would agree with the data golf rankings that they are a little more accurate based on the analytics of how they've played in the last 25 events. And then the average OWGR ranking, official world golf ranking, of the guys in the top five of the Players' Championship right now is 86 in the world. And that is including Scotty Scheffler, who is number two in the world right now. So T-Dub, I mean, today we are going to see some massive drama considering the winner gets obviously four and a half million dollars for winning the players championship. But second place gets 2.725 million. Third place gets 1.7 million. Fourth place gets 1.2 million and fifth place gets over a million dollars. This is life-changing money for everyone in the top five, really top ten, other than Scotty Scheffler, right? 
Yeah, it's going to be a shootout for the dollar bills this afternoon. There's literally no doubt about that. And you just look at the guys you mentioned with Scott, Scott Scheffler. Win Moo Lee, he got in this tournament because he, he barely cracked the top 50. They were saying his last tournament, the Honda Classic, he shot 66 in the final round. Had he shot 67 or worse, he would not have gotten in this tournament because he barely cracked into the 50th spot in the OWGR, which we all can agree is a little obsolete now, but good for Min Woo, and he's showing why he deserved to be in this tournament. Then you have guys like, like Cameron Davis, who really haven't been playing very well coming in this tournament. Uh, you got the likes of Tommy Fleetwood, Aaron Rye, uh, Chad Ramey, and my boy uh, C. Bezel, Christian Bazanehut there at 9-under. But really, you know, with how much we follow golf, Sam, a lot of these guys up there really hadn't been playing exceptionally well recently with the exception of Scotty Sheff. And I think it's just one of the things, Sam, is just a consequence of this course because it just it, it's so challenging, but yet it's challenging in a way that invites a lot of players to make their way up because you can really make – you can go out like we saw yesterday and make a flurry of birdies, or you can see what we saw on the first few days, and you can make doubles and even triples. Someone like uh, Chad Ramey who's there five shots off the lead. He made a quadruple bogey on 17 the second round. Had he just been able to par that hole, he would uh, theoretically only be one shot of the lead. So uh, there's a lot of volatility on this course, Sam, and I think we're going to really see it maybe not – not necessarily the top leaderboard, but in the, the top five, the top 15 range, I think there's going to be a lot of movement today. No doubt about it. Let's talk about the golf course for a second. Yesterday at TPC Sawgrass, it was the lowest scoring average in a round at the Players' Championship since 1983. The scoring average yesterday was 69.57 in the third round. So my question to you is, do you think that they overreacted and made it a little easier or do you just think that it was all because the course got softened after the rain uh, on Friday night and obviously we saw what can happen like you said when that course is firm and fast it makes the fairways smaller it makes the green smaller we saw what happened to our man Max McGreevy a name that a lot of people around here are familiar with he shot 69-89 had to birdie the last hole to break 90 in the second round I mean, that course was playing hard. And then all of a sudden, yesterday, like I said, it was the easiest day at the Players' Championship since 1983. We even saw Tom Hoagie break the course record with a 62. He birdied 2, 3, 4, 8, 9, birdied 11, 12, 15, 16, and 18 to, shoot, to literally shoot the course record, T-Dub. So my, my question here is, is that all based on whether do you think they made it a little easier as well? I think there's a consequence of a, of a few things. One, the main thing was just that the rain really softened the course up. You could really see how firm the greens were Thursday and Friday, and they were nowhere close to that yesterday. You could just tell the amount of rain they got. Then there was also not much wind that was blowing yesterday as well. It's kind of ironic that the guys who ended up not having to, not able to finish their second round, having to come back Saturday morning, actually end up probably getting the better end of the draw because those Saturday morning conditions were absolutely prime. I think the only thing that's really making the course fairly hard right now, or at least yesterday, was the mud ball because they weren't allowed, they weren't playing lift, clean, and play. So I think even Scotty Scheffler a few times in the fairway uh, had, had a few mud balls. And the pin locations yesterday were also pretty easy, Sam. You know, everyone was throwing in there on 17, letting it roll down. 18 pin was the same way. You could hit it really within a 30-foot a radius, it seemed like, and that ball would funnel down. But but just for comparison's sake, Sam, yesterday, only four out of the 18 holes played over par, which is absolutely astounding to me. The only holes that played over par were 5, 7, 8, and 14. So only one hole in the back nine played over 
over par. And the contrary wow. to that, in the second round, only five holes played under par. So, I mean, it was just an absolute complete flip-flop. The scoring average on the second round was uh, 1.8 over par. And as you alluded to yesterday, it was a 2.43 under par, which is pretty crazy. Very rarely do you see a course change that drastically in just the span of uh, one round. No doubt about it. And I think it's it's a weird tournament because there's it's not a great leaderboard at the top, but it's kind of going according to what we said beforehand, that the guys that are striking the ball the best are going to play the best. And Scotty Scheffler, T-Dub, is having the, one of the best ball striking round or tournaments of the year. T-Dub Green, he's gaining 4.82 shots on the field per round, T-Dub. That's unbelievable. He's actually losing shots on the greens but that's because he's hitting it to 15 feet every single hole or inside 15 feet every single hole. In round three, TW shoots a 65-7 under, had an eagle, only have one bogey on number seven. But Scotty Scheffler, to me, right now, T-Dub, I think before this final round, we'll see what happens today. But obviously, we've seen the struggles with Rory McIlroy and his driver. We'll get to that in the second segment. We've seen... You know, obviously, John Rahm has had struggles with his driver as well, missing left. Now, he did have the illness, did pull out of this tournament, did withdraw. But Scotty Scheffler, to me, right now, T-Dub, even better than Max Homa, better than Colin Morikawa, better than Victor Oblin, I think that Scotty Scheffler is the best ball striker on the PGA Tour. Yeah, when you include uh, driving and iron play, he's been really the best ball striker in the game for quite some time, even better than John Rahm because uh, Scotty Scheffler's irons have been that much better than even Rahm's had been on at least a, a consistent basis. And, and just for comparison's sake, you mentioned the 4.82 T to green. Second highest out of that is Tommy Fleetwood currently a 2.76, almost two shots per round better. Blowing the field away. Green. It's absolutely incredible, truly. And what's ironic too is that, uh, like as you mentioned earlier, he's not making any any strokes up on the greens. He actually hasn't putted very well this week at all. He did have the chip in yesterday on two, which has helped his strokes gain around. He's gained more than a shot uh, there, but he's gaining one point three off the tee, Sam, and that's including yesterday. He hit he had three pretty pretty bad drives to the left. He had the one on seven that missed the bunker entirely and had, and went in the water. It's I very rarely do I ever see a ball hit that far left, especially from someone who drives it that well. Then he hit the three wood left on 10, and then he hit it He hit it left on 15 over into the pine straw and actually got a little bit of break, hit a good shot there. So it, it, he's had those few exceptions there, which may be something for us to watch out for this afternoon. But other than those few swings, his ball strike has been absolutely impeccable. But if his putter does get a little bit cold, and let's just say he, he's been on such a fury with his irons and his ball striking, if that dips down just a little bit and he's not going to be able to make the putts, that that to me is really the only way that I see anyone really make an extreme run. And with the exception of Minwoo Lee going out and doing exactly what he did yesterday, but I don't even see that being the case because uh, he just putted so exceptionally well yesterday, gaining almost two shots on the field. Actually, Minwoo Lee has not been hitting his irons very well this week. So I, I feel like for Scotty Schiffer not to win this tournament, there's going to be a complete flip-flop in, in the games that have been shown so far in the first three rounds no doubt about it this is scotty scheffler's tournament to either win or lose and i think he has to go out there today and make a statement with with how weak the leaderboard is up there and how big of a lead he has even on the tide for fourth guys at nine under i mean he has to go out there and win this tournament by five or six shots to me Minwoo lee cam davis they could make a run but scotty scheffler tiger woods would go out there in his prime and make a statement. We've seen it time and time again with elite players. And 
I, I got to ask you, T-Dub, is there anything other than a win that you could consider a good day for Scotty Scheffler? Because I think he has to win this golf tournament if he wants to be considered one of the greats of all time. No, there, there's nothing besides a win that would be good for Scotty Scheffler. I heard two stats yesterday on Live From that were very interesting. They said that uh, the that only two players have ever won this tournament in their first attempt playing at the players. It was Hal Sutton back in, I believe, 1983, and, and then Craig Pertz, a lot of people remember back in, in 2002, and the other. So we're going to go ahead and eliminate the guys who, who are playing here for the first time. So you say Minwoo Lee's been playing here for the first time. Aaron Rye, who's currently T4, is also there. So we'll throw him out. And the other stat, which I think is most important, which is actually crazy the largest final round comeback ever in this tournament is five shots so if you go based off of those two stats there's really only a handful of guys that could win this tournament you look at Tommy Fleetwood Scotty Scheffler obviously and then Christian Bezaytenu because uh, Chad Ramey Aaron Rye and uh, Min Woo Lee are all playing here for the first time Cameron Davis has played here a few times but he missed the cut every time so based off that there's only four guys who really theoretically have a chance to win a tournament so if he could beat Cam Davis Tommy Fleetwood and, and Christian Bezaytenu I feel like that's that's exactly what it needs to do. So, no, there, there's there's really no scenario where Scotty Scheffler doesn't win this tournament and says, you know what, I, I did. Well, I guess the only exception would be Min Woo Lee going out and shooting 69 or uh, 59 and Scheffler shooting 63 or something and, and just barely losing. That would be the only <laughs> thing that could happen, and the odds of that happening on this course are very slim. No doubt about it. So let's talk about the Masters and the players that have won the Masters and the players in the same year is a pretty elite list. You have Tiger Woods, Sergio Garcia, Phil Mickelson, Adam Scott, Fred Couples, Sandy Lyle, Ray Floyd, and Jack Nicklaus. Now, if Scotty Scheffler does what he's supposed to do today and wins the players, he's going to be the favorite at Augusta National. Can he win the Masters back-to-back after winning the Players' Championship, or is it just too much? Oh, I, I absolutely think that he can. I think one reason is that he, he's uh, this is what his uh, he's played two tournaments already this year that he won last year defending. He def- successfully defended one of them with the, the waste management in Phoenix, and then almost won at Bay Hill where he'd won the year before. So maybe there's just certain places, or maybe even this this certain time of year, whatever it is, where Scotty Scheffler's absolutely having it rolling. So yeah, I think that he would if as long as he goes out and wins this tournament, nothing really crazy happens. Then yeah, he he definitely will be the favorite, and the only other tournament he'll play between now. Now in the Masters will be the match play, which he won last year. So, I mean, there may be a chance that if he defends that, he could be on another streak heading in the Masters like he was last year. No doubt about it. I think, like I said, this Scotty Scheffler has to win this tournament today, to me, to prove something to the golf world. Obviously, over the last, I don't know, two weeks, he's been the best player in the world. I thought that John Rahm was by far and away the best player in the world three weeks ago. It's been crazy how the official world golf ranking number one has kind of, you know, switched between Rory at the start of the year. He spent five weeks at world number one. Then Scotty Scheffler spent a week at world number one. And then John Rahm spent three weeks at world number one from week seven to nine. Now Scotty Scheffler is going to take it back after today, assuming that he does finish in the top five. So it's going to be really interesting to talk about Scotty Scheffler leading up to the masters and see how he uh, finishes that finishes off the players today because I'm looking for a dominating performance from Scotty Scheffler today. But if that doesn't happen, T-Dub, Mim Woo Lee is two shots back. He's doing it on the greens and off the tee, gaining almost two shots in both categories per round. And Mim Woo Lee 
a, a lot of people might know his sister a lot better than him. I mean, Min Woo Lee is the brother, the younger brother of Min Ji Lee, who is the fifth-ranked player on the LPGA Tour. She's won 11 times worldwide and is 26 years old. Min Woo is 24 years old. He's won two times on the DP World Tour. Um, you know, his world ranking right now is 50th in the world. But like I said, his data golf ranking, uh, which is a little more accurate, is around 86th in the world. Uh, T-Dub, I mean, <laughs> what, what can you tell us? Number one, you're a golf nerd. Tell us about Min Lee, and then we'll get to Min Lee. Well, Min Lee is one of the, the best women's uh, golfers in the world right now. I don't know her exact ranking off the top of my head, but she won the uh, the U.S. Women's Open last year. So, I mean, she has just been on an immaculate run. She's only 26 years old. Min Woo Lee is uh, 24 years old. So, a guy, Min, Min Ji Lee has the, has the elderly advantage there on Min Woo Lee, but both of them have just exceptionally phenomenal golf swings. I mean, Min Woo Lee's, they are breaking it down last night in live from, and there's hard to find a flaw in that. It's just a very athletic look has so much speed in the ball. They said some of his ball speed numbers yesterday were in the upper 180s, which is, just for comparison's sake, her average is about 172, 173. So he, he just absolutely pummels the ball. I remember watching him at Southern Hills a decent amount because he was playing his practice rounds with Jason Day, and I followed Jason Day a decent amount. And I watched Min Lee, and I thought the swing was exceptional. I did not see that type of speed that w- that we've been seeing from there. So I think even as of recently, he may be gaining a little bit, bit more distance, which may be scary because it seems like the rest of his game is going pretty good. I am a little bit shocked to see that he has not been hitting his irons particularly well this week just with how fundamentally sound his swing is, but gaining 1.77 off of the tee, which is e- which is even higher than the likes of Scotty Scheffler and has been putting a lot better than Scheffler has this week. So, you look at that, Sam, I mean, he's driving the ball better and putting a little bit better than Scotty Scheffler, but but the other two areas around the greens and especially approach the greens, Scheffler has been absolutely blowing him out, but uh, as we've been alluding to earlier, there would be an absolute shock for me if, uh, if Min Woo ended up winning this tournament just because Scotty Scheffler, according to the analytics, has a 69% chance to win for comparison. Min Woo Lee sitting at about 12%. So it, it, the analysts kind of think it's going to be a two-horse race. Probably not Cameron Davis or thinking any of the guys at 9-under are going to put a lot of pressure on him. So uh, as we've been saying earlier, yeah, Scotty Scheffler definitely needs to go out and win this tournament. But, but for Min Woo going further along into his career, even if he isn't able to win, if he's able to at least push Scotty Scheffler and not hand him the trophy, I think it's going to be big for him going forward. He's already had a lot of success on the DP World Tour. If he can bring it over here, the PJ Tour, and maybe even transcend it into some majors, he's got a lot of time left in his career and definitely has the game to be a world-class player. No doubt about it. And if he did win, it would be back-to-back Aussies winning the Players' Championship. On the DP World Tour, you can really see his growth as a player. Strokes gained total on the DP World Tour in 2021, he ranked 16th. In 2022, strokes gained, he ranked 10th. This year in 2023, he's ranked second on the DP World Tour in strokes gained. And then the strokes gained approach number is the one that I always look at talking about elite ball strikers. And you said you love his golf swing. Well, maybe it's gotten a little bit better over the past couple of years because in 2021, he ranked 108th on the DP World Tour in strokes gained approach. In 2022, last year, he ranked 155th in strokes gained approach. So far this year, in 2023, he ranked 39th on the DP World Tour. That's a big, big improvement uh, as far as strokes gained approach. And then he ranks 23rd in greens and regulation as well. I, I saw what you saw of them breaking down his golf swing. It's really impressive with the driver. You can almost see his left butt cheek when he makes impact, which is very, very rare. He has a, a giant turn. And, and I, I think that I agree with you that it can 
you know, produce great golf shots under pressure, which he's going to have a whole lot of pressure playing for that type of money today. I, I think that when you use the big muscles in your golf swing like that, technically, obviously, different things can happen in the brain and, and under pressure, different things happen. But just as far as the golf swing goes, I trust his swing more than I trust a guy like Cam Davis. Well, usually the rule of thumb is a good swing, a good fundamental swing will be less likely to break down under pressure just because the fundamentals are so strong. But even going back to the to the stats as well, Sam, I mean, he over the last two years, his putting has gotten exceptionally better too. His first three years out on the DP World Tour, he lost strokes gain on the green. The last two years, including this year, he's been able to gain strokes around it. And his iron play has almost flip-flopped because his iron play was not good at all when he first got out, now gaining uh, essentially .75 on on the field each each round, which is absolutely crazy. The one thing that is a little bit down this year is his short game. He had gained strokes around the greens that has every single year been out there on tour. That is not the case this year, actually, and not even just barely, losing a decent amount of strokes around the greens. Um, some of that may be attributed to it doesn't look like he, he has gained many shots around the greens in the times he's played on the PGA Tour, so maybe getting used to the grass and stuff around here, which takes time for, for anyone who's trying to play on a different continent, let alone someone uh, like, like Min Wu, who's still fairly young in his age and not as much experience but has does have a global game because he is from australia he's had to play in a lot of different countries so he should be able to adapt um pretty quick but whenever you got 4.5 million dollars on the line and also the pressure too because he he is not officially a pj tour member which is kind of crazy whenever you think about how good he's been playing so a lot of things on the line for men lee today and it's going to be interesting to see we we just talked about how great his swing is but we're going to see what a little bit of what's between his ears going forward because if he does start getting a little bit of those nerves come in you'll see some things break down especially on this golf course t-dub quickly the last guy that i want to get to in this first segment is cam davis and cam davis has missed his last six cuts and has lost over a shot on the field on the greens and all six of those events where the hell did this come from from cam davis and is there any chance he wins this golf tournament and maybe not just is there any chance he wins this golf tournament how do we even get to this point to where we're even talking about this on sunday of the players it's just another example, Sam, of how crazy golf can be. As you mentioned, he had been playing horribly. I mean, absolutely horrible. Really going all the way back to the start of the year. He had a T7 back at the Australian PGA in November, and since then his best finish was a 32nd at the Sony Open. That was his only cut that he's made between then. So whatever happened, he figured something out. He did have a really great final nine yesterday. He only shot, he made nine pars on the front nine, but was able to shoot five under on the back nine. Birdie in 17 and 18, coming in getting clutch. So, no, I'm not giving Cameron Davis much of a chance to win this tournament going forward, but if he plays like he did on the back nine, he's going to definitely make him a big big paycheck, which he could definitely use. He's sitting currently 101st in the official World Golf rankings, and uh, but he's 147th on the analytic rankings, so a little bit of dispersing there. But uh, So, based off that trend, he needs to start playing a little bit better, oh, his, or his OWGR ranking is going to keep dropping, which he, he does not need. Um, he's only 28 years old, so still has a little bit of time left, but uh, a lot of things will be uh, proven this afternoon, Sam. No doubt about it, T-Dub. You are listening to the 73rd Hold Radio Show right here on the Sports Animal. We'll be with you until noon. In our second hour, we're going to play part of our interview on our podcast, the 73rd Hold Podcast, that you should go subscribe to anywhere you get your podcast and the sportsanimal.com. But we're going to play our interview with Charles Howell coming up in the second hour, so stay tuned to that. But coming up after the break, we're going to talk about some more guys today at the Players' Championship, some notable names. Then we're going to get to Rory McIlroy. So stay tuned here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, 
the sports animal. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show right here on the sports animal. Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys, Preston Poole with you until noon. Stay tuned. Next hour, we will be playing a snippet of our interview with Charles Howe that was already on our podcast. So go subscribe to the 73rd Hole Podcast anywhere you get your podcasts or the sportsanimal.com, T-Dub. I'm looking at the odds for today. Scotty Scheffler is minus 250. Minwoo Lee is plus 500 before the final round. And then there's a big drop. You have Tommy Fleetwood at plus 2,100. Cam Davis at plus 2,400. Christian Bezadenhut at plus 4,600, along with Sung J.M., Aaron Rye at plus 5,500, uh, Chad Ramey at plus 7,500, and Tom Hoagie at plus 8,000. Um, of those guys, which guy do you think is your best bet, excluding Scotty Scheffler or Ben Willey? So out of those guys, I'd probably go go with Tommy Fleetwood. Um, he, he has been uh, playing a little bit better than the other guys have. And another thing about Tommy is that he actually has a pretty good record on the on this golf course as well. So out of those guys, I would probably go go with Fleetwood. But I, I'm not going to lay my money on anyone besides uh, Scotty Scheffler just because of what the analytics say. He was the huge favorite going into this tournament. And uh, I, I guess really, Sam, the only reason I wouldn't pick, put money on Scotty Scheffler is because he was my one-and-done pick. So in my head, there's no way that he can win the tournament. He was your one-and-done pick, wasn't he? My one-and-done picks haven't done too well. JT is down there, I think, right around even par, and uh, Victor Hovland is sitting there, what, a six-under par for the tournament, so not terrible as far as Victor Hovland goes. But I want to go back to, to Tommy Fleetwood real quick because he's a name that a lot of people know, probably from the Ryder Cup, but he won the Ned Bank earlier in the year or you know, right around the end of the year. T-Dub, why has Tommy Fleetwood not been playing as good of golf as he was probably two or three years ago? It seemed like Tommy Fleetwood was always up there on the leaderboard in major championships, and he was always making big putts in the Ryder Cup. And then all of a sudden, you look at his data golf ranking, which factors in all analytics throughout all the tournament rounds he plays in, and he's ranked 40th in the world, even though he's 26th in the world in OWGR. What has been going wrong for Tommy Fleetwood recently, and what maybe is he doing better this week than he has been in his last 25 events? What's funny is you look at Tommy Fleetwood, and really every single year in his career, going all the way back to 2018, so we're on, that's about five years now, he's gained strokes in every single category, which, which is pretty crazy. You don't see that very often. And, and so there hasn't been a, a, dro- a huge drop-off anywhere. The main difference is that he used to gain almost a full shot on the field when it comes to off the tee. He actually used to hit the ball an absolute mile, and over the past two to three years, his distance, or at least comparative distance, has dropped down a lot. You can contribute that to maybe he's hitting a little bit shorter or just the guys around him are getting getting a little bit longer. Either way, he's not being able to overpower golf courses and overpower fields as he was used to, but I alluded to this earlier. He does have a good record at the Players' Championship, has a fifth back in 2019, a seventh in 2018, and finished 22nd here last year. So, And, and you look at what he's doing this week as well. He's uh, gaining almost two shots approach, so his iron play has been exceptionally well. And uh, really his worst attribute that he's having this week is on the greens, but he's still gaining strokes in that category as well. So seems like Tommy Fleetwood, old fairway Jesus, Sam, might be finding a, a little bit more form, even though to what he's had last year, it just seems like that he's just for whatever reason, his distance just hasn't been there over the last two to three years. One thing you have to remember, though, is that Englishman has never won the Players' Championship, and there's another Englishman, Aaron Rye, right behind, or really tied with Tommy Fleetwood, 
on the leaderboard. Yesterday, Aaron Rise round got a little bit overshadowed because of what Tom Hoagie did. But Aaron Rye, he bogeys number two, birdies number three, and bogeys number four. So through four holes yesterday, he's one over par for the round and one under par for the tournament. Then he proceeds to birdie five, birdie six, birdie eight, birdie 11. And then his finish has to be the greatest finish in players' history. I mean, he birdied number number 16. He aces number 17, makes an ace on 17. And then birdies number 18. So he plays the last three holes at TPC Sawgrass, you know, four under par, D-Dub. It, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was pretty funny. They, they mentioned earlier in the week, because uh, in the first round, Hayden Buckley made a hole-in-one on 17 and birdied 18, and, and they said he was the first uh, player to ever play uh, those holes at a combined score of four, which is just absolutely unbelievable. And then two days later, Aaron Rye does the exact same thing and actually bests Hayden Buckley because he uh, Aaron Rye was able to birdie 16 yesterday, and Hayden Buckley was not able to do that. So a lot of records are being broke this week, Sam. But but I absolutely love Aaron Rye. I've, I've actually liked him for quite a while. He's uh, won a few times on the DP World Tour, has really just started to play the PGA Tour within the last year. Kind of has a, a unique type of swing, but definitely makes it work for him and, and is actually not uh, that bad to look at. And he's just kind of, the thing he's been having to really work on really has been his putting. He's uh, really since the start of the year, he has not gained strokes gained putting in, in one event, which is absolutely crazy, gaining .64 this week. So that trend is is a little bit of change. Most people will know Aaron Rye for, for his iron covers and wearing two gloves. But but and, and normally I would hate on the iron covers, Sam. <laughs> but but he had a pretty cool story saying that, that they didn't have much money growing up and his dad would always go out of his way to make sure he had the best equipment. Bought him one time a, 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 a set of a Titleist 690 MBs, which I remember those back in the day. Those were not cheap. And so he just wanted to keep his stuff nice. And he said that keeping the iron covers on consistently lets him remind him of where he came from. So I think it's a pretty cool story. It may be the one occasion of all time, Sam, we're all not rip on someone for wearing the iron covers. That's a great story, but it's still, I don't, I don't like the iron covers, T-Dub. I'm still going to hate on the iron covers if you're on the PGA Tour. Anyway, uh, speaking of records, Tom Hoagie, he obviously uh, broke the course record at TPC Sawgrass yesterday. Uh, that means that Fred Couples, Greg Norman, Robert Castro, Martin Keimer, Jason Day, Colt Nose, Webb Simpson, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, and Hideki Matsuyama with an asterisk because he shot 63 uh, when COVID happened and the tournament got canceled back in 2020. Uh, he, he beat all those guys. All those guys had the player's record at 63. So my question, T-Dub, is where does this Tom Hoagie round at the player's rank in you know, historic rounds uh, in the game of golf? You know, it's a really good question. It kind of reminds me of uh, when Brendan Grace shot 62 at, at, I believe, Royal Birkdale, which was the first 62 ever shot in a major. But but no one really looked at it that way because it, it the conditions were so easy and also it was a par 70. There was a lot of contributing factors. And so I think that this is kind of a similar situation where he had the, the lowest, at least third-round scoring average of all time at this tournament. I mean, it, it was just you could not have dreamed up TBC Sawgrass to have better scoring conditions than yesterday. So I don't think that a lot of people will look at it that way. But I will say this, though. Tom Hokie also has an exceptional record at this course. I mean, he's he's never missed the cut here in his four times, and his best finish is 22nd. But at the same time, as I mentioned, has not missed the cut any of those. So let's just say maybe down the road Hokie wins one or even two of these tournaments because he plays good here and has a good career. Maybe we'll look at this record a little bit more. But at least at this point, Sam, Tom Hokie, who's, who's won on the PGA Tour, but is not extremely accomplished, mostly known for his great iron play, has never lost strokes gained approach in his, what is it, eight 
eight years now on the PJ Tour, one of the best iron players in the game. So I, I think for this record to get a little bit more elevated, Sam, I think Tom Hoagie has to do a little bit more with his career for us to look at. But at least that's just my perspective. So, T-Dub, let's talk. We've talked a lot about the guys at the top of the leaderboard. Let's talk about Rory McIlroy. And Rory shoots five over, misses the cut at the Players' Championship, and then proceeds, T-Dub, to blame his driver. By the way, Rory McIlroy, in those two rounds, gained almost a shot and a half on the field off the tee. So, it clearly was not the driver that was the issue this week at TPC Sawgrass. But he said, quote, look, I wish I could use my driver from last year, but I can't because of, and then he pauses, and then he says, you use a driver for so long, and it starts to get a little too, and then he pauses again, and he says, basically, it wouldn't pass the test. And the test that he is talking about is the characteristic time test, which measures how fast or hot a driver's face is. Um, And if the driver's face is too hot or too fast, Uh, According to those numbers, it can be deemed not conforming or illegal. P-Dub, this is a weird story to me, and it almost feels like Rory McIlroy is trying to, you know, kind of throw a dig at TaylorMade without throwing a dig at TaylorMade, if you you catch my drift. I caught a little bit of that drift as well. It is weird, though, because as you mentioned, he's gained over a full shot off the tee, and with his approach game, his putting has been, and his chipping was by far the worst part of his game, so I don't, maybe Rory's not really evaluating the way he's been playing right. I mean, even looking at off of the tee, he didn't, he still gained strokes of, for example, the Genesis, didn't gain that much off the tee. His accuracy was absolutely horrible, so maybe there's a little bit of validity to that. I, I find it weird, though, Sam, because it, if, with the modern drivers now, you can build a driver so specifically close to what you had that, that I, I feel it's weird that, that someone like Rory can't find something that's at least remotely close or comfortable so to what, what he, he says. What he says, T-Dub, is that the more you hit this stealth two driver, the face starts to thin out, which actually does the opposite of what you think it would do. It, it doesn't deaden the face. It actually makes the face you know, more springy and more hot. And actually, this exact thing happened with Xander Shoffley's Callaway driver when it failed a test before the Open Championship um, back in 2019. So this has happened before. But to me, I've heard a lot of bad things about the new TaylorMade driver that a lot of guys want to go back to the Sim 1. And they don't like the new stealth driver. And I feel like Rory was using that as an excuse to say, you know, I want to go back to that old driver. And he almost said, because the new one sucks is what I feel like he almost said, but then he said because it wouldn't pass the test. Yeah, and that's an interesting point that you bring up, Sam. That uh, with uh, with those modern drivers, how the more that you hit it, how it can it actually makes the face hotter. It is the exact opposite of what you would think. And I remember exactly the Xander Shoffley situation, and I remember Callaway getting a decent amount of heat whenever that happened. So maybe there is a little bit of validity to what Rory said uh, about it not being a really good look for TaylorMade. That's why he's wanting to do it, but but he should probably put his career more more at the stake than, than what TaylorMade's doing. But they are paying him a lot of money so but even Colin Morikawa came out and said that you know he's making some uh, driver changes as well he's debating on wanting to use his old sim driver versus the uh, the stealth 2 which is the newest one so I, I don't know Sam it is a little bit weird you don't see that very often where a, 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 especially someone who's known for making their drivers comes out and, and makes one that a lot of players don't like and under contract they're, they're supposed to play that club and there's there's a lot lot of underwriting issues to that so uh, I don't know it is a little bit weird I really haven't seen this in, in quite some time Sam where a 
a good majority of especially high-level players with one brand don't like the most recent driver. It, it's pretty weird. It is an interesting thing, and it's not good for TaylorMade considering all the content shoots that they do, spending money elsewhere. Maybe they need to look at their drivers, which is their key moneymaker, T-Dub. And just to kind of wrap this up, I mean, what are we looking at for Rory McIlroy leading into the Masters? I mean, it's not a good sign that he shoots five over at the Players' Championship. Now, I know that the players and TPC Sawgrass, funky things can happen, but it's not a good sign leading into the Masters. And really, throw John Rahm in there as well. Did John Rahm peak too early? I mean, did both of these guys peak too early this year? There's a chance of that. You can only play exceptionally great golf for so long, and it's really not up to to, to you on how long that happens. The golf gods have a lot to do with that. And with Rory, it's it's really going to, I think, come down to to his putting, and and really because his putting has been really horrible over the ever since he started playing over here in the United States at the start of the year. He putted good over in uh, over in Dubai in the DP World Tour Championship, those events. But ever since he came over here, even last week, he he made a few putts, but it has he wasn't up at the same echelon as he was. And we just alluded to it earlier about how bad his short game and putting was this week. So he's definitely going to get some things figured out, and also off the course, Sam, he's got to make sure that he he's not letting all this PGA stuff and trying to be the spokesman and let that get to him because I think we saw what happened in 2000, what was it, 13, whenever he signed with Nike and how all those off-the-course off the things distracted him in 2013 was by far the worst year he had on the PJ Tour. So if he's not able to get some of these off-the-course things right, Sam, then I, I think Rory's going to have to work even harder to uh, play the elite golf that he was just a few months ago. No doubt about it. I think that even Rory McIlroy right now would admit that he needs to stop being as much of an actor activist for the PGA Tour and, and go back to just being an elite golfer uh, like he was before all of this uh, conflict started happening in the game of golf. I think it's starting to hurt Rory McIlroy's game a little more than he would even let on. Uh, T-Dub, it has been. Uh, we have been here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show on the Sports Animals. Stay tuned. Next hour, we'll, we will play some of our interview with my man Charles Howell III. It was a great interview. Go subscribe to our podcast, the 73rd Hole Podcast, anywhere you get your podcast or thesportsanimal.com to catch that full interview. But we'll be back for one final segment here of our first hour of the 73rd Hole Radio Show right here on Oklahoma's Leader in Sports, the Sports Animal. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animal. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. Stay tuned after the after the break. We will have Charles Howell the third on our, our radio show. It's we'll, we're playing a snippet of our podcast interview with Charles Howell after he won Live Golf Mayakoba. So stay tuned for that. But T Dub, let's finish talking about the players here. We have the whole world at six under par. A lot of notable names such as Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler. Patrick Cantlay, Taylor Moore, who played his high school golf here, Edmond Memorial High School, went on to play at Arkansas, Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, Jason Day, another one of your one-and-done picks right there, T-Dub. The whole world is at six under par. Of those guys, my first question is, which of those guys could make a big jump into the top ten or maybe even top five today? 
You know, out of all those guys looking, that's why I mentioned earlier that I think that there's going to be a lot of volatility in the 5-15 to 15 range just because there's so many guys there at 6-under, and they're all really world-class players. Um, the analytics would put, put most of the emphasis on Patrick Cantlay, who who, they, who was actually the second favorite going into this tournament behind Scotty Scheffler. Um, even some guys you didn't mention, currently uh, Cameron Young is at 6-under. He's at 200 through four holes and been on birdied, I believe, the second hole, so he moved up uh, to that T6 or up into 6-under, which is T14 currently. So even more volatility to start off with, but out of all those guys, Sam, I'm probably going to look at Colin Morikawa as a guy who could play well. He's actually the only person in the field who's gaining more strokes uh, approach to green than Scotty Scheffler, but but his putting has just been horrible, get, uh, losing point six on the field. Had one of the best uh, first round shooting seven under, and has just been not very good since then. Actually gained uh, two, how much did he gain? He gained uh, .89 shots in the first round putting, but then after, after that, just the second and third rounds, his putting hasn't been there. So if he's able to get a little bit of that form that he had in the first round on the greens, I think uh, Colin Morikawa could make a little bit of a run this afternoon. And T-Dub, it's interesting that all those guys right there are tied for 14th place because when we did our podcast earlier this week, we talked about the fact that if you finish 13th place or better, you get over half a million dollars in this golf tournament. So that's life-changing type money to a guy like a Taylor Moore or a Dylan Wu or an Adam Havwin of those guys sitting there at six under, but it's a drop in the bucket for guys like a Jordan Spieth, a Patrick Cantlay or a Ricky Fowler. So it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, speaking of Jordan Spieth, uh, if you didn't see this earlier this week on Friday, Jordan Spieth eagled the ninth hole, but it was in a crazy way to make the cut. He sliced his drive that was clearly going to go in the water on number nine, and it hit a, a patron's knee and bounced back into the fairway, and he took advantage of the break and ended up making an eagle, made the cut, and then shoot six under par yesterday. Uh, just an unbelievable round for Jordan Spieth, bogey-free. But it was interesting because he did say, that I owe that guy, that fan, everything, T-Dub, after this because I was going to make nothing. I was going to miss the cut, and now Jordan Spieth is sitting there with a chance to make you know, close to a million dollars today. Yeah, I feel like there needs to be some sort sort of royalty here for the guy who got hit, maybe like 10% or whatever the check is. I feel like that that's reasonable. Yeah, and, and Jordan Spieth said anything. I mean, if I'm that guy, I, I am uh, you know shooting very high as far as, uh, what I'm asking Jordan Speed for. Maybe some sign stuff, maybe some tickets to Augusta National. I mean, what are you asking Jordan Speed for if Jordan Speed is saying, look, hey, I owe you, you know, I, I, I'm about to make close to a million dollars and I would have made nothing if it weren't for the ball hitting you in the knee and bouncing back in the fairway. You you mentioned the first thing that came to my head whenever I heard Spieth quote, and it's the Masters tickets, right? It's the, it's one of the hardest tickets to get in the entire world, and I feel like a defending champion there, guy who's had the green jacket before. I, I feel like he could easily get you a few tickets and put you up in a nice place at Augusta, maybe some little Airbnb just off of the golf course, you know, get this so and, and to get week long tickets too, I think is what you got to do. But I mean, whenever some whenever a millionaire tells you you can have anything you want, Sam, I mean. You have to shoot high, right? I mean, you just be killing yourself <laughs> you if you to. don't ask for the world because the worst you can do is negotiate down. And what is Spieth going to do? Like, if you ask him for, like, 10 Lamborghinis or something, okay, that's going to be a little ridiculous. But what is Spieth going to do? Is he really going to say, no, I'm not going to give you a week's, like, four weeks long master tickets when we all know that he could 
more. I would be absolutely shocked if he wouldn't have been able to do that. And also, too, let's say that it came out and uh, that the guy asked Spieth for something and, and Spieth says no to it. I mean, he could come out and that could be bad PR for him. So I think right now the, the gentleman <laughs> who got hit, Sam, has a blank check. And yeah, that, can be, that can be exactly that could be very scary for uh, Spieth's bank account, even though he has plenty. No doubt about it. Jordan Spieth was like, you know, I, I can get him tickets the next couple days, pay for his drinks, whatever that guy wants. I owe it all to him. Preston, is there anything that you would ask Jordan Spieth for if Jordan Spieth's ball hit you and bounced back in the fairway and he made the cut because of it and now he's going to make almost a million dollars because of it? Uh, probably a new set of clubs or something like that. <laughs> there you go. I, I guarantee you he could do that. I would go higher than that, Preston. I mean, he True. can get those for free. <laughs> maybe uh, he does he have a car deal? Maybe maybe he's yeah, maybe like that. maybe like a new car. I mean, yeah. What what's thirty thousand dollars when you're about to make you know six hundred thousand dollars, right? T Dub. I mean, I, I like where Preston's head is at. Uh, speaking of another guy at six under, I mentioned him, Taylor Moore. He had a crazy round yesterday, only made four pars, uh, but shoots seven under par for the day in round three, T-Dub. What can you tell us about Taylor Moore's game? I bet a lot of people have heard the name since he's from Edmond Memorial and then played at Arkansas, but what's his game actually like now that he's on the PGA Tour? Well, he's just an absolute solid player in almost every area. The only area that he he doesn't gain strokes on in his approach, and he's essentially right at zero, just a little bit below. But gain shots off the tee, around the greens, and this year he's gaining a good amount of strokes putting. Growing up, Sam, he was one of the best putters I'd ever played with. Seemed like he he was set, sort of that Jordan Jordan Spieth kind of feel, where if he was just inside 15 feet, you just said, "Hell, pick it up." I mean, we're we're just going to go ahead and move on. And, and this week, that should, uh, proves even more relevant too. He's gaining 1.5 uh, strokes gain putting, and every other, also every other. He's gaining strokes game with the exception of around the green. So in the few exceptions where Taylor does miss the green, if he's going to start able to get it up and down, uh, which, I mean, even looking at yesterday, Sam, as you mentioned, he only had four pars, just an absolute roller coaster run. Had four bogeys in there, but also had, what is that, nine birdies and an eagle? I mean, it's just absolutely crazy, the, the roller coaster <laughs> he was on. And, and, and I think we can all agree that, that Taylor Moore is one of the best guys that, that I've ever played golf with. Just no an doubt. outstanding human being, a great family, too. His, uh, his parents, Ron and Melanie, are absolute great people. So I always root for Taylor, and hopefully he can keep shooting up the leaderboard today because we talked about it a lot this week, Sammy. You talked earlier this week, you even mentioned it just there. A lot of money going on. So even when you're on the PJ Tour, finishing the difference between 5th and 10th in this tournament is astronomical. No doubt about it. That's life-changing money to a young guy on the PGA Tour. Victor Hovland, T-Dub, is an interesting one because I felt like last week, on Sunday at Bay Hill was probably the most disappointing day of Victor Hovland's career. I felt like he had that tournament in the palm of his hands and then just hit some really uncharacteristic shots, whether it be leaving it in the bunker on number eight and making double last week at Bay Hill or, you know, hitting the nine iron in the water, laying the sod over it, coming down the stretch. But it almost seems like it's back to old Victor Hovland and not the good Victor Hovland. It's, it's, the Victor Hovland that's losing over half a shot around the greens each tournament. T-Dub, I thought he got this fixed. He had about an eight-tournament stretch there, you know, from the end of last year to really, obviously, it's a wraparound season. So in the fall, he was chipping a little better, and, and his chipping stats were up. And, you know, he's playing solid golf. And I was prognosticating that Hovland's going to win a major this year if he gets the short game figured out. And it looked like he was getting things figured out. And all of a sudden... Last week at Bay Hill, he loses like over a shot and a half on Sunday around the greens. And then, uh, I mean, this week so far, 
T-Dub, he's lost over a, a half a shot around the greens as well. I mean, what is going wrong or what has been wrong with Victor Hovland's chipping considering we thought he was making strides? And I think he was as well. I just think that you can have kind of a mini relapse in the sense, even at the start of the year, really going all the way back to the waste management, his chipping has not been very good. And you look at the past over his career, and the times he's played down in Florida, his chipping has just been horrible almost every single tournament. So maybe there's something to do with the, the really grainy Bermuda grass around the greens. Could have something because this week he's losing half a shot around the greens. His chipping is not good. And he, he was leading the golf tournament at one point, or he was at least close to lead within the top three or four, Sam, and uh, it just kind of started to fall apart in the second round. Then yesterday, got off to an extremely slow start. He was only he was two over through eight holes when everyone was going under par, rebounding, going four under on the last ten. What was promising, but at the end of the day, Sam, uh, whenever you text me and Woody in our group text, how good Javi was doing, he ki- he kind of went downhill from there. So maybe you jinxed him. Yeah, I jinxed him. I jinxed him completely. I even tweeted it out with the cowboy emojis out there, and I was like, Javi's in the lead, and instantly just starts dropping severely down the leaderboard so i'm sorry to victor hovland for absolutely jinxing him not only uh this week but last week so yeah maybe i need to just stop you know picking victor hovland and stop tweeting about victor hovland i think i'm bad luck t-dub but you are listening to the 73rd hole radio show right here on the sports animal oklahoma's leader in golf we'll be back after this short break we will have one segment to make our pick for the Players' Championship, and then we'll have Charles Howe on the 73rd hole right here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the Sports Animal. That is right. You are listening to the 73rd hole radio show right here on the Sports Animal. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. P-Dub, I promised the listeners that we would give our picks, albeit not too exciting today at the Players' Championship, but... I'm going Scotty Scheffler, and I'm expecting it to be dominant. I think that he gets to 18 under par today. T-Dub, what do you think? I think that's a pretty good estimate. So that would mean he would shoot 68 this afternoon. And in that case, man, we would have to shoot 66 just to tie him. So uh, that's kind of about where I'm looking at. Uh, the analytic favorite score right now is 15 under, which Scheffler would only have to shoot one under to do that. Um, I, I expect him to do better than that. Scheffler does have a little bit of a rough record with some 54-hole leads. I think they said last night on Live from it, he has had six or seven up to this point, point. he's only won two of them. So that's uh, definitely not Tiger-esque by any stretch. But but he is able to do – he did do shoot 66 in the final round at the Waste Management to win out there. So maybe he's got a little bit of figured out. But, yeah, I, I'm not betting on anything besides Scotty Scheffler. I, I would honestly, as you kind of – mentioned to I would I would be more inclined to bet that he wins by four or five shots than I would be to bet that uh, someone comes up and catches him and like I mentioned earlier in the show Scotty Scheffler is minus 250 to win the tournament today Minwoo Lee at plus 500 then it drops all the way down to Tommy Fleetwood and those guys at like 2100 plus 2400 for Davis uh you know plus 4600 for Bezadenhut and M so Scotty Scheffler is the considerable favorite, but T-Dub historically at the players, the final round has played very hard. The final round scoring average since 2007 is 74 and a half. To put that in perspective, the final round scoring average at the majors, the masters is 72 in the final round since 2007. The uh, the PGA is 71.2. The U S open is 72.8 and the open championship is 72. Point two, and as far as 54-hole leaders go, 
uh, T-Dub, at the Players' Championship since 2007, only four 54-hole leaders have gone on to win. At the Masters, nine 54-hole leaders have gone on to win. PGA, eight. U.S. Open, seven. Open Championship, six. I know that historically it is telling us that Scotty Scheffler is not as big of a favorite as we're making him out to be, but I, I, I forget. I, I say screw those numbers of you know the 54-hole lead since 2007. It's Scotty Scheffler versus Minwoo Lee and Cam Davis is what I'm saying, Tito. Yeah, and and I didn't go back and look at every single stat to to back this up, but I would be highly inclined to say that you add up the 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 world ranking of all the players who had those fifty four holies that you're talking about, and I'd bet the ones in the players would be drastically higher just because of of as we mentioned in the first segment about how this course kind of opens it up for for guys who aren't necessarily a, as elite. So a very, I I would like to see what the scoring average is for the for the number two or three player in the world as Scotty Scheffler is, and we'll vault to number one if he wins this tournament. I would like to see what those guys rank and what their scoring average is because uh, if Scotty Scheffler shoots anywhere close to what that average is of 74-75, Sam, I would be utterly shocked. And it would be one of the more disappointing things of Scheffler's career, even going all the way back to uh, when he lost his huge lead to Roar at the Tour Championship. I feel like if he doesn't win this tournament, it would actually be worse than, than losing when he did there at Eastlake. I would agree with you on that, T-Dub. The leaders are going off at 12.45 our time, so it's going to be an interesting afternoon at TPC Sawgrass. We're about to have Charles Howe III on the show, so I figured let's talk about the OSU Cowboys and the OU Sooners uh, to end this segment here, T-Dub. OSU, like we mentioned on the pod, were in action at the Cabo Collegiate uh, March 5th through March 7th, and Oklahoma State had a terrible tournament. They finished tied for 10th in the golf tournament. Now, it was a stacked field. The likes of Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, Arizona State, Texas Tech, all up there um, in, in this tournament, all the you know top-ranked teams in the country. But Oklahoma State finishes 10th in the – or tied for 11th, excuse me, in the golf tournament, 26 over par. They are really struggling to find an identity after Brian Stark transferred to Texas in the middle of the year, T-Dub. Well, and also reading the uh, the article on Gulf Oklahoma by Kim McLeod, as I am right now, uh, find out a little bit as to as to what happened because in the first round, OSU only played w- with four players. So you're thinking, man, something had to go on. And it turns out, Romnus Negar-Peterson, who we were wondering why he wasn't in the lineup, he actually had an injury prior to start the tournament, so they had to bring Dillard, Dylan Stewart in to play, and he actually shot the uh, the low round uh, of the tournament for the Cowboys, shooting a 69 in, in the I believe, the second round. So it, uh, it, it, it that's something you don't usually have to deal with Sam a player getting injured while you're there not having the individual there at the time so then you have to he probably had to fly him in and all this stuff so it uh it, that by reading the article it opened up a little bit more doors and, and eyes as to see why OSU really didn't have their best tournament and as you mentioned absolutely loaded field Vanderbilt Texas Tech who, who you're extremely high on Sam and I am as well and, and like Ole Miss Arizona State Florida State all extremely great programs in there so yeah not not completely shocking with everything OSU has been going through for them not to have their best tournament. And then, like we mentioned last week, OU has had a little break leading up to the NIT, which is in Tucson. By the way, Live Golf will be in Tucson on the exact same date, March 17th and 18th. Um, OU is playing Tucson National. And then Live Golf out in Tucson is playing the Gallery Golf Club out there. So that's interesting that OU and OSU are going to be playing at the same time in Tucson as Live Golf. But T-Dub... 
as far as OU goes right now, if you look at the standings, Oklahoma is ranked 13th in the country, but I think they are kind of a sleeper team, and it's going to be interesting to see OU and OSU in the same golf tournament. We haven't seen that in a while. No, def- definitely for all of us Bedlam fans, we'd love to see that. And who knows how much we'll, we'll get that to happen when OU moves to the SEC. So maybe something that's a little bit more rare uh, going forward. But but for both these teams, which is, I think, at least promising from my perspective, I expect both of them to get better as the year goes along. I don't think OSU will stay where they are now. And OU, even having their little bit of ups and downs, they only lost by five shots in their last tournament, but they, they still finished fifth. So just getting a little bit more form there is going to transcend to higher results. And kind of like what we mentioned earlier with the Rom and Roy, you know, sometimes you can peak too soon. You only play good golf so long. So with us still being, what, now almost three months still out from nationals, at least two months out from regionals. So it's uh, there's still a lot of time there, and hopefully they can start peaking at the uh, end of April, uh, maybe even early May going into there, at least because that's a conference championship time. So get to peaking there and in regionals, and then hopefully have your best stuff uh, for Tucson, where they will be playing, which is at least some good experience to have playing in at least somewhat similar conditions. Yeah, no doubt about it. And by the way, Oklahoma State only dropped one spot in the rankings from 18th to 19th after their tournament in Cabo. That just shows you how loaded the field was at the Cabo Collegiate. Like I said, Oklahoma ranked 13th in the country. And their last two tournaments, they've had individuals you know, finish second and, and first on the team, but they couldn't count those scores toward their team scores. Maybe Oklahoma just needs to you know put that right line up together for the for the certain week t-dub it's a good problem for ryan hibble to have that he has individuals playing well you know each time he he throws an individual out there as well as you know playing in the same tournament as the team but at the same time eventually you want those individual scores to count (laughs) do you see what i'm saying t-dub Oh, absolutely, and I think that's one of the reasons why I expect the, the, the team to get better as the year goes on because there's going to be constant competition there because you, you start getting in a little bit of a slump. I mean, you're going to easily be thrown out of the lineup just because there's so many guys there that, that can be thrown in, at least for Ryan Hibble's team. So, yeah, I think the competition is, is going to be a good thing, and for the people who don't like the competition, let's say there's a player who, who maybe doesn't like it, then they're not going to be earning of that spot, and they frankly don't deserve it. So, this competition is going to weed out uh, who needs to be the best in the lineup, and also, too, Sam, once we get into the later tournaments there won't be individuals so we won't necessarily have the opportunity to see if an individual would have played better than, than the guy on the team so uh that'll open up some more doors but at least going forward this competition i think is going to be good uh, uh essentially for both teams in my opinion no doubt about it and vanderbilt like i mentioned is still the number one ranked team in the country gordon Sargent, who won the national championship last year as a freshman sophomore this year. He's ranked number one in college golf. Michael Torbjornsson is a junior from Stanford. He is the second ranked player in college golf. Then you have Ludwig Aberg of Texas Tech. He's ranked third right now in college golf. Now he's ranked first in world amateur golf ranking. And so that factors in all of his summer tournaments as well. He is probably the best amateur in the world right now. Wells Williams is another freshman for Vanderbilt. And like I said, they win in Cabo. Uh, speaking about Vanderbilt and, and North Carolina, T-Dub, uh, Texas Tech, do you want to change your pick away from North Carolina to a team like Tech or Vanderbilt or even Arizona State? Illinois has been playing some great golf recently as well, or are you sticking with the Tar Heels? 
I'm going to go ahead and stick with, with the Tar Heels for now. I do think Texas Tech is going to be a team to look out for. I, I was looking at the uh, the Valspar field next week, and I think Lovett Aberg's in that field a, as well. So even Texas Tech, maybe they're getting their guys who are, who are going to maybe a guy who wouldn't play a little bit more experience and see if they might be able to crack the top five because Aberg isn't there. So that might open up some more doors for them. And it's given Aberg the experience uh, of playing on the PJ Tour. So when he comes back and plays college golf, it should seem a lot easier to him. So, yeah, I, I think your Tech pick is definitely gaining a little bit more water, but I, I just still look on paper, and I know they haven't had their best stuff in a lot of tournaments, but but North Carolina is just the most talented team, at, at least from what I've seen in the last few years of college golf, and I, I expect them to get into a little bit more form heading up towards nationals, but if they don't, Sam, then maybe we get a little bit closer. Maybe I'll have to change it, but then at, the, at that point, Sam, as soon as I did change it, North Carolina would find form and win nationals uh, going away. It's going to be really interesting. National championship at Greyhawk in Scottsdale again this year and it's going to be crazy to watch these teams like a Vanderbilt match up against the North Carolina it's going to be titans of college golf going up against each other in match play this year at Greyhawk it's going to be really fun to watch and look out for Oklahoma State and look out for Oklahoma even though they're not in the top 10 right now they're lurking and they have some tournaments left to, to regain form for Oklahoma State and really find that right lineup for Oklahoma. T-Dub, last thing quickly that I want to mention, we we got to talk about Tiger Woods not being here at the Players' Championship. Just a simple question. What are you looking for at, for Tiger Woods at Augusta National? To me, I think that Tiger is just not healthy enough, even though he does have the ball speed. It worries me a whole lot that he's not here at the Players' this week and wasn't at Bay Hill last week. That means that even though he should have been as healthy as he's going to be at the start of the year after the Genesis, do you see what I'm saying? And so that means that it, to me, it, it, it's going to take him three weeks at, at the least to recover from each tournament that he plays in. That's not a good sign if we want to see him in contention again. No, it's not a good sign going forward, but I do expect him. I, I what, what am I looking for, Tiger, at the Masters? I expect him to play better than he did at the Genesis. You go on to one of the courses where he's had arguably the most successful uh, tournaments of his career versus Riviera where he's had his, his worst success as a pro. So I expect that to completely be different and for him to have be well-rested and going up to there. If we start seeing in the second or third round really any signs of limping or fatigue, I think that's going to be a bad sign. And because, as you mentioned, Tiger's getting enough rest to go into this tournament. Plus, he has the endurance of playing a full tournament already back, back at the Genesis. So, yeah, I'm I'm expecting to see better stuff than what I saw at Riviera. Maybe that's just me being optimistic, but uh, I, I definitely think that ma making the cut has to be a complete goal of his. And if, as we saw last year in this first competitive round in over what, a year or even two years, uh, uh, he, he was in the top ten after the first round. If he just could have had a little bit better success the second and third round, he would have been able to get at least up there, at least halfway close to where uh, Scotty Sheffield Cam Smith were going into the final round and so and along with that too Sam the putting I think is has to be an, another thing because his putter's been so streaky if he can have at least three or four rounds where his putter's good I, I expect his iron play to be halfway decent there so uh, I, I'm, I'm at least I'm pretty bullish on Tiger going into the Masters I love it I hope to see Tiger Woods at the Masters and if we do then I hope to see Tiger Woods make the cut. Speaking of Tiger Woods, we will hear, hear Charles Howell tell a great story about, Char about Tiger Woods right after the break. This is a snippet of an interview we did with Charles on our podcast, and you can get that podcast anywhere you get your podcast or the sportsanimal.com or golfoklahoma.org as well. 
After the break, Charles Howell III from the 73rd Hole podcast. You're listening to the 73rd Hole radio show on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the sports animal.